So good morning, everyone. We're going to get started with um, our equipping time. Our prayer is that you come and join us for worship and you experience God's love and the love of others. We also pray that you will be equipped for life in Christ. And then we pray that you'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can go out and go tell the world about the Lord's love, right? And so be a blessing wherever you go. Um, we're speaking today about uh, loving the foreigner, and we're going to have a panel discussion. That's why this is set up a little differently. But before we get into talking about the practical stuff, the, how we do this or what we've learned and what we've experienced, before we go there, I want to give a quick, I'm going to go through a bunch of Bible passages really fast. And we just want to review some of God's heart through scripture uh, for us and for the world. So interestingly, when Jesus or when God gave his people the Ten Commandments, um, you read about this second time they got the Ten Commandments in the very same scripture in Deuteronomy 10. Let's go ahead and put that up. Deuteronomy 10. As soon as the tablets are given, this is what comes next. It says, now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul? Sounds like the greatest commandment, doesn't it? And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. What else is there? Then to verse 17, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. What a beautiful name, Jesus, right? who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So there, that's almost like a paraphrase of the second commandment, right? And then he says to his people, and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So from the very beginning, when God's people were formed with an identity, this idea of loving the foreigner was right there. It wasn't just loving your neighbor. It was loving the foreigner. Okay, and then um, last week, Stanley spoke from Matthew 25, where Jesus identified with the stranger. He says, not only do I want you to um, care for these people, but I am those people. So when you care for them, you're caring for me. Let's put up Matthew 25, 35 through 36. It says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus was so passionate about this. He said that we would not receive our inheritance and the kingdom of heaven if we didn't engage in this. I mean, he was, he was serious. And if you listen to last week's message, you can, you can hear how passionate God is about that. Then later on, right before he goes to the cross and one of Jesus's most aggressive, um, assertive <laughs> displays of passion, he goes to the temple and what does he do? He he turns over the tables of the vendors. He cleans out this court. It was a radical physical display of Jesus's passion. And then it says right after he did that in Mark eleven seventeen, 17, it says right after he did that, he taught. 
It's like he, he did this action and then he sat and he spoke to his disciples and said, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. So often with this scripture, we focus on the fact that it was commercialized, that worship was commercialized and for, pe- for profit, it felt like. But it had two things. It wasn't just that it was a den of robbers and thieves, but it was like, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. That part that he cleaned out was where the Gentiles could come into worship. And he's like, we have to have this space for all the Gentiles, not for our profit. He was passionate. And then we spoke today, um, Mike already read Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit says they were gathered in one place of one accord in the name of Jesus waiting, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began to speak in many languages. Today, this morning in my devotional, it reminded me of the idea that at the Tower of Babel, people were gathered to make a name for themselves. And when they were gathered to make a name for themselves, what happened? Scattering, confusion, and languages that people didn't understand. But on the day of Pentecost, when we gather in the name of Jesus and one accord, what happens? Understanding. And the gospel is made clear to all of us. Isn't that beautiful? And then we know the final picture, the final image we're left with in scripture. We say this one all the time, Revelation 7, 9. This is John. This is what he sees in heaven before the throne of God. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They were worshiping. This is what it looks like. And this is why we love Global Day of Prayer so much, because tonight we get a little glimpse of this when we're gathered here and we hear all these languages and tribes and tongues and peoples and color. It's just so much fun. It's like, this is a taste of heaven. But this is God's heart, is that we're bigger than we think. We're bigger as like in color and in places and regions than we think we are, right? His church is big and beautiful. So with that, I'd like to introduce um, some friends who've agreed to um, be part of a panel. And we're going to talk about this idea of what it means to love the foreigner. How do we do this? What does it look like? How does it work? Why should we do it? So I would just like to have um, Kelly Hill, Joe, and Henry come on up. If you guys could join me up here, you can grab a microphone and a seat. Yeah, let's cheer for these guys. We're going to leave the pictures up for just a minute. That's for the online crew so that you can see what we all look like. And I was in a hurry when I made this image, so I included myself. So (laughs) I couldn't find, I was, it was, I had a a collage of four. So that's me in the bottom left-hand corner. (laughs) But we've got Joe McCann, or Kelly, I'm going to start reading some, um, a little bit about their background so you know who these guys are. So Kelly has lived in Salt Lake City for just over a year, and she began coming to the fellowship last March. As a child growing up in a military family and as an adult, she has lived in many parts of the U.S. and the world. 
Since 2019, she has been working for World Relief, first as the volunteer program manager at a local office, and now as a content writer for their national marketing team. So thanks for being here, Kelly. So Joe, originally from back east in his mid-20s, Joe was awakened to God's heart for those who are oppressed or find themselves in vulnerable situations. He began to seek out opportunities to respond to them, which led him to start the Maine, and that's Maine, USA, not just Maine, the Maine way, <laughs> the Maine Freedom Project, and, he's, and also to partner with anti-human trafficking organizations to help raise awareness and funds. Joe went on to serve as the Director of Mission Services at World Relief in North Carolina for over eight years, where his focus was on engaging the local church in loving and caring for refugees and survivors of human trafficking. Let's welcome Joe. Now our beloved Henry has been with us much longer. <laughs> Henry is the son of an immigrant mother from Mexico. He was raised in Utah and became a follower of Jesus when he was 16 through a local Spanish-speaking church. He currently works in software services supporting hospitals all over the West. We're so blessed by his contributions on our worship team for 15 years. He's been drumming for us, 15 years. <laughs> And that doesn't, just so you all know, Henry and his wife, Michelle, I think she's up there in our nursery, our makeshift nursery, they serve in so many ways behind the scenes that many of us don't see. And so what a friend, what a professional, what a discipler. We're so thankful for Henry. So let's really cheer for Henry. We love you guys too, but <laughs> we've had Henry with us longer. <laughs> Okay, so let's get started with some questions here. First, Joe and Kelly, what did God do in your life to inspire you to love the foreigner? So for me, I feel like it was very much a situation like we were reading in the verses of Deuteronomy, where it says, for you were once a foreigner in Egypt. And God awakened my heart for the foreigner here in the U.S. because I have had that experience on the other side um, in many different ways. So I grew up in a, uh, I almost said a world relief family. <laughs> I grew up in a military family. And so from early on was used to being the new kid, the, the new one who didn't know where things were, who didn't have connections, didn't have friends, and was looking for a sense of home um, and connection in the new place I was in. And then as an adult, I had the opportunity to live in a couple different countries and be really warmly welcomed by the people around me. Um, I especially think about time that I spent in Indonesia. I was there for two years as an English teacher and my neighbors just extended um, what felt to me from my cultural context like an extravagant hospitality, that their doors were always open, there was always food on the table for me, they genuinely wanted me to be coming into their homes. If I didn't stop by often enough, it was kind of like, where have you been? Why don't you want to spend time with us? Um, and so just experiencing that radical hospitality um, directed towards me, it made me realize how valuable that was to me when I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where to find things. I didn't speak the language um, and what a blessing that was to me. I also had the opportunity to get involved with the church there in Indonesia. 
um, that took me in. And what was really cool was the past, the two pastors there, a husband and wife, had spent some time in Baton Rouge um, studying. He was studying mechanical engineering, I think, and then felt a call to go back and pastor this church in Indonesia. And so I got to hear from them their experience coming to the U.S., getting connected with an American church and how that church was so instrumental in their ability to get integrated into their community, to feel welcome. They were the ones who told them, you know, here's the grocery store. This is how you get around and became like family for them. And so got to be awakened to it in my own heart of, oh my goodness, I need, you know, this welcome from others. And then got to hear how the church specifically was really impactful for this family. Um, and that really changed everything for me and changed my whole career path. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, um, so I, uh, it was in my mid-20s, and for me, it started with just a really a calling to those who are oppressed, those who are in vulnerable situations. Um, for me, I, I was just, one night I was sitting on the couch, and I was flipping through channels, and I ended up landing on a Dateline special about um, child sex trafficking in Southeast Asia, and um, I sat there, and I was just blown away. I couldn't believe it was happening. You know, I never heard of human trafficking. Um, but I kind of just did what I normally did. I turned off the TV, I went to bed, and I kind of forgot about it. And um, over the course of a few months, um, the Lord just kind of kept putting this issue in front of me over and over again. It just kept happening. Um, and so finally, one day I was driving home. And again, I turned on the radio, and they were talking about human trafficking again. And I got home that night, and I was like, uh, well, I started going, okay, God, are you trying to say something here? Um, well, what's up with this? And so I got home that night, I opened the Bible and I just, I wasn't seeking anything out. I just happened to be in the book of James. And the first thing I read was James 127. It says, the only religion our Lord finds acceptable is to care for the orphan and the widow in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And, you know, I'd grown up in a Christian home and I had really like embraced part two, uh, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Um, but I realized at that moment, I hadn't done anything for the orphan or the widow. And the orphan and the widow at this time were like the most vulnerable. They were amongst the most vulnerable. Um, and that kind of like, cha that changed me. I, I realized all of a sudden this calling throughout scripture to care for people who are in a vulnerable situation, people who are oppressed. And so as I started reading my Bible, all of a sudden stuff just kind of jumping out of the pages that I had read over for a long time, quite honestly. And there's this, this heart, like we heard last week in Matthew, like this caring for the, those who are hungry, those who are uh, naked, those who are the foreigner, you know, the, the most vulnerable. We have a calling as, as followers of Christ to care for them and to love them and to um, just be there for them. And uh, so that just kind of started jumping off the pages for me. And um, it was really an awakening for me. Um, and so uh, that just kind of led me to say, okay, what do I do? I'd never asked that question before. Um, but all of a sudden, I realized that I needed to do something about it. Um, that led me to, to start to pursue, like, how can I get involved? And um, that led me to World Relief, where I um, initially connected with World Relief because uh, they had anti-human trafficking program. But as I was there, I got to develop relationships and um, work a lot with, uh, with refugees and um, just see how, um, you know, when you're a foreigner, when you're new to somewhere, like Kelly just said, like, there's a vulnerability. There just is. It's not because there's anything wrong with you. 
um, it's because you don't know the way around. You don't know how to navigate this different culture. Um, and that's why God, it's so important to God that we care for the foreigner because they're in a tough place and they need uh, the body of Christ to love them well. Uh, so that's kind of how I got involved. Wow, that's really beautiful, both of you. It's interesting that it's easy to skip over that in the Bible. You said you look over those passages in the Bible until you're in Indonesia <laughs> and you're on your own and you see kind of the cycle of um, even the way the church in Baton Rouge supported the church in Indonesia. And you're like, wow, this is how this works. Or um, when you start helping refugees, it's like, oh, now I get why this wasn't so, so important and why this is everywhere in scripture. Wow. So thanks for sharing that experience. So Henry has an experience kind of on the other, uh, on the other side of this story. He's the son of an immigrant uh, from Mexico. And so I just asked him if he would share some of his story, like um, what was it like to be part of a family, family that was perceived as foreigners? And what was that experience like? Um, so the experience uh, is, I could say, is an interesting experience, especially because, so my mother had to take a decision in leaving my older, so I'm a middle child. And so my, leaving my older sibling in Mexico and take that hard decision to come, you know, to the United States, seeking a better place to live, seeking uh, an opportunity, right, that she did not see or have in Mexico. Um, and so uh, she came to the United States with family and things like that. And uh, at that point, you know, she just came to work and kind of, you know, be able to provide a future for the family that she was, you know, already developed. So she had split up from my, from my brother's dad and stuff. And so she was now a single mother. Um, we came, she went once in the US, she was accepted into a family. She was like a nanny per se. And so she was taking care of the kids uh, and that family was very, very welcoming. She was also, you know, accepted my brother, you know, as part of the family. And so it was something that, um, you know, as she expressed, it's just something that really helped her through, you know, because even though she didn't know many people at one point, you know, she, so she had my aunts and things like that, but they were doing their own thing and, and whatnot. And so she, you know, she was this, and from there she was able to proceed. And then um, I came along and, you know, and, and my sister and whatnot, but um, it's just, uh, I guess it's just been kind of an interesting uh life so not only was she an immigrant but then really young she had open heart surgery um, that then led to a stroke in her early 30s so um, that caused you know a lot of difficulties where um, you know once she finally was able to bring my brother and things like that situations are different you know once um, I guess nobody will understand why somebody may take a decision to go to another country that they're not familiar with. Um, not knowing exactly, even though this is, you know, an amazing country, obviously, with opportunities, but without knowing 
what that future is, you know, to put yourself in that position. I think it's the difficult position for many where until, like you were saying, you know, until we read over certain scriptures, but until you're in that situation, then you may, oh, this scripture is talking to me. But when we're in other situations, oh, we just, you know, read it and maybe just uh, go right over it, as he mentioned. And so that, you know, it's just experiences as an immigrant. I think there is a lot of difficulties depending on, you know, the situation of that immigration, you know. So hers wasn't uh, legal immigration. Um, and so that obviously opens a lot of windows for a lot of difficulties, you know, where um, she doesn't have at the point proper documentation to be able to obtain maybe the job that she requires proper documentation to you know and then that bleeds over to my brother where he came pretty young too and you know he comes to the age oh I get to drive I get to work and it's like unfortunately no you know and so it's it's just things and so I mean and that's obviously things from the country right laws regulations and things like that but just feeling welcome it always goes a long way To tell us about the time he told me this story about uh, when his mom had a stroke and I was like wow that's a picture of how difficult this is so so um, she was uh, this was like I mentioned really young so it obviously made our lives as my brother my sister's life uh, very difficult because then at that point we had to take over you know, the home and, and whatnot. And so, so how old were um, you in this? Happened? I was, I was 14, 13, 14. Um, and so I remember clearly because it was, she was, she began to work at the Carlos Jr. on Redwood Road in West Jordan, in Taylorsville, I guess, on, on, on there. And um, so they were doing this grand opening. And so we show up and there's an ambulance outside and I'm like, okay, I don't know, you know, what's going on. But I, as soon as I walk in, um, I see my mom just on the floor, just, you know, like people trying to help her. And um, she's just like, no, right? Like she doesn't know anybody is the, what, what her expressions say. And so they see me and they're like, oh, that's her son, you know, like she'll be, and I go and it's the same reaction. And I'm like, you know, I was young. I understand it now. It's just, sorry. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, just that situation just caused so many different things where my brother had to drop out, um, you know, just so many hardships per se, you know, where we were now the, the men of the house and things like that. But, you know, we worked through it and she's been really strong. She's recovered her, her speech to an extent. Um, she had lost all her memory um, and, and couldn't even speak. And, you know, and so she recovered all that. Um, doesn't fully speak in 
phrases per se, but she's all there. So I'm just so thankful. Thank you. I appreciate him telling that story because um, you're 14. <laughs> Think about how hard it is for us when we have medical problems because medical is so easy, right? <laughs> Think about having on top of that some of the other challenges that they had as a family as far as income and documentation and things like that. And this is the epitome of the orphan, in the widow in distress, right? And so this is, we have these friends amongst us. We, we are, we know each other's stories. We learn each other's stories and we tell each other's stories so we know how to support one another in the things we've been through, right? So thank you for sharing that. Um, can you tell us about a time um, when someone welcomed you? I have felt... Uh very, very welcome here. Um, with my wife, we've gone to, so she's from Venezuela. And so originally she came, you know, and she was, her English wasn't, you know, as good as she is now. And so we were like, okay, based on her language, we, sh you know, we should maybe find a church where, you know, she could fully understand, you know, to be able to grow and, and, and just be part of the church. And so we did that. Um, and, and, we, we just found that the welcoming that we have in this church is something that I think needs to really expand in a sense because um, in, in other places, it's not that you don't feel welcome, but I guess you don't feel the love as you're there, you know? So like, I could, I could, I could welcome somebody, but is it a true welcoming? you know, that type of thing. And so um, this church is just something that I think uh, should be able to learn from many is that we need to see the person um, and love them no matter what their appearance is, what their color is, what their, you know, anything, because at the end, that's what brings us together. Thank you for sharing that. How about a time when you felt unwelcome? <laughs> uh, there was this one time that I was with uh, my family at the Marriott. Um, and so we were just, you know, vacationing and stuff. Uh, it was uh, during the breakfast. So it was continental breakfast. And there was an elderly couple. And, you know, we were just going, doing our thing, grabbing our breakfast and stuff. And the gentleman said a comment that was like, I mean, I, I was in shock. He was like, aren't you guys supposed to be grabbing your guys for room service and stuff? Like, as if we weren't, you know, guests. And so, what do you mean? Like, you know, and so I didn't even know what to say. But, like, we're guests here. And so, I mean, that felt, you know, like, I mean, I don't see a reason why it was directed to us, you know, because there was many. And so, yeah, that was a time that was kind of like... Yeah, those are difficult moments and um, just an example of why we want to be a welcoming people and the people looking out for our friends in line at the Marriott getting food or wherever we're at, we can look out for one another and we can welcome someone. I remember once standing in a, a grocery store 
And um, I just especially have a heart for immigrant kids, just watching the, the mom, I think she was from Bosnia, just fighting with the cashier and this young teenager trying to help the mom, trying to help the cashier navigate. And those, those teenagers, they need our help and our support and our patience too, right? So, um, yeah, we love you guys. Um, yeah, that just reminds me, sorry. <laughs> that's good. Because of that, like, there was a lot of things that as kids, you know, where we're being told, you know, and because we're used as translators, <laughs> whereas like maybe situations where, you know, we're being told to be, tell my mom things where as kids, maybe we're not, you know, and that's in a lot of scenarios, but just makes it difficult, yeah. Yeah, when you put kids in that place of authority because they know more than their parents, imagine as parents, those of us who are parents, how that would disrupt our family dynamics. There's just so many reasons um, to reach out and help and um, be a friend and love the foreigner. So um, Joe and Kelly, can you tell us a little bit about what you have learned from your international friends and neighbors um, and how this has changed how you practice your faith? Um, so there are two things that come to mind for this question. Um, the first is I truly feel like I've learned a lot more about what hospitality looks like and what welcome can look like. I remember um, soon after I started working for World Relief in North Carolina, um, we had an art class that was really cool. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to be there because it was a great group of women. It was all women doing art together. And it was very sweet. Um, but there was a woman who needed a ride home. And she was from Syria, her family had fled. And so I said, you know, of course, I'll give you a ride home. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm doing this woman this favor, I'm, you know, helping her get to this class so she can have this opportunity. And we're in the car and she's asking me about myself in my story. And so I'm telling her, you know, I've just moved here, don't have any family here, and, you know, trying to make friends. And she looks at me and she says, if you ever want people to be with, you will come to my home. <laughs> and, and she basically says, you know, there's no reason for you to be lonely here. And in that moment, I realized that where I thought I was meeting her need by giving her a ride, she saw much deeper into my needs for community and connection and, and her invitation was genuine. You know, I think we can sometimes say things, you know, like, oh, you know, we'd love to hang out sometime. And, <laughs> um, but, but she saw, you know, this person needs connection. I can be that for them. And so getting to experience that through others, you know, I think her culture had something to do with it and also her experience of being out of her environment and new, um, has really developed in me a, a desire to want to stretch my own comfort level sometimes of what does it look like to make more space for people to be more welcoming, to be okay with, you know, an open invitation to my home, which I think, you know, culturally for a lot of Americans like me, that can be challenging. Um, so I would say that's one thing is just really being challenged on what does hospitality look like? And then what does biblical hospitality look like as a Christian? Um, you know, she was a person of Muslim faith, and it made me think about, well, what does my welcome look like? If she's willing to invite me into her life, shouldn't I be willing to invite someone like her into mine in that way? Um, and I think the other thing is, 
when I do think about our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, I've gotten to be in different churches. We actually were singing a song this morning that I was like, oh, I've sung this in a German church. And I love sitting there and thinking about, you know, people of different languages and cultures singing these songs together that, you know, we are one family in Christ. Um, and what I've gotten to see is what the church looks like in parts of the world where um, it's maybe not as culturally ingrained as it is here, where it's a bigger risk maybe to be a follower of Jesus. Um, it takes a bigger kind of intentional investment of, you know, it's not in Utah. I understand this is a little bit different, but a lot of the places I grew up in, you know, there's a church on every corner and, and it's, it can be easier to get into the habit of going to church, being part of a church community. Um, but in, you know, different places that I've been, that's not the case. And I have gained a lot from seeing what their walk with Christ looks like, the passion that they have behind it, the fire that they have behind it, the way that they understand it as like, you know, this is fundamental in our foundational identity. And um, that has also challenged me on thinking about how, how passionate am I in my pursuit of Jesus um, in wanting to be part of his church. And so I would say those are two of many, many more <laughs> things that I have gained. But um, yeah, I think being challenged has been important for me in, in learning from my, you know, international neighbors. So good, thank you. Yeah, so I think um, we all know we're all created in God's image. We know that in our minds, um, but I'd say for myself, and I'd say probably for a lot of us, we may know that, but then all we know of a certain culture or a certain people might be what we see on the news or what we hear about. And, in our minds, we don't see how they're created in God's image. Um, but then when we develop a relationship with somebody from a culture, um, we see it, we start to see it. And so as I've, you know, we've had family friends that are from Iraq. We've had, um, we had a woman from Myanmar who lived with us for a while. We had a young guy from um, Burundi who lived with us. and as you get to know them, they become, uh, you, you see how they are created in God's image. And I think you see every culture has its strengths and its weaknesses. And you see the strengths and the weaknesses of their culture. They expose some of the strengths and weaknesses of your own culture. Um, but in getting to know people, you just see God in them. You see God's nature in them. You see how he created them, how he loves them. Uh, and the truth is when all we know of somebody is stories we hear and things we see on the news and stuff like that, um, we, can, we can in our hearts, even if we know in our minds that they're created in God's image, in our hearts, we may not see it. We not, may not truly believe that and embrace that truth. Um, and so as we develop those relationships, um, that changes us. And, and I think there's a lot of people, um, there's a lot of times where we have uh, an image of, some, of, of a group of people um, that is not correct and it's not godly, the way that we're looking at them. Um, and the best way through that is to get to know them, is to actually meet somebody, actually spend time with them actually um, hear their stories and share yours and share life together uh, and it it'll change you. Thank you. 
Uh, Henry, a question for you. What do you think the um, kind of established American church could learn from our new American believers and immigrants and refugees? What could we learn? I think the main thing, as I was um, saying earlier, sorry, is being able to just uh, see people with love. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like uh, an American or, a, you know, culturalized thing that it needs to be, but it, it maybe has been placed that way. Because if we look beyond that, and so maybe that's where we need to learn is to not be quick to judge um and as he was saying realize that we're all made uh, uh, in god's image so you know if we get to meet these different people and 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 love them and and accept them because i mean we're all the body of christ right and so we need each other and so i think i don't think is what we could learn you know to the American, North American churches is, I think just in general, we need to learn to love people. That's it. Yeah. It's crazy how that is the greatest commandment and it might be the hardest thing for us to do. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so that leads to this next question. Um, both Joe and Kelly have a lot of experience working with churches, mobilizing them to care for new Americans. And so I just wanted to ask both of you, if you could tell us what are some of the primary obstacles that you've seen and, and how might we overcome some of those obstacles? Um, well, okay, so I think the, fir the first big barrier is recognizing our own blind spots. Um, I'll give a quick story to that. That's just sort of helped me realize just how big of an issue this is for us as the church. Um, I remember being in a situation where there was this woman who um, I knew she was a follower of Christ and she loved the Lord and she loved people. And she like worked with people who were experiencing homelessness and all this sort of stuff. And one day we saw a post that she did where she basically went off on uh, basically she was trying to get medical care for her mom and there was something in there about some reason it was the immigrants fault that she wasn't able to get medical care for her mom and there was just this anger and this um there was just this heart behind it that was so not her really. Um, and I think what I realized at that moment was we all have blind spots. We all have areas that we're not seeing people or we're not seeing things through uh, God's eyes. And we're not loving or we're not, you know, caring. Um, and the realization there is that we all have them. We don't know what they are. That's why they're blind spots. Um, <laughs> And so I have them. I just don't know what they are yet. Uh, Do you want me to point them out? <laughs> just kidding. Yes, please. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> so we all have those blind spots. So one is we sometimes have a blind spot in this area of seeing the foreigner and um, loving them in the way God does. 
Um, I think one of my biggest, um, I think heartbreaks in my time working at World Relief was seeing people who I, I do believe love the Lord, um, but have somewhere in their heart just this uh, a disdain, an anger, um, uh, an inability to see um, somebody from Iraq or from Syria or from Mexico um, as um, a valued, dignified um, creation of, of God. And so the first step, I think, on sort of big picture, I guess, less practical side is we've got to try and work through um, and help each other see those blind spots when it comes to the, the foreigner residing amongst us. Um, you know, on the more practical side, um, there's just uh, the opportunity to, we have to, um, we have to be willing to get over some, some more barriers. Um, those cultural and language um, barriers that they can be a little bit intimidating at first. Um, and, uh, but I'll say if we can kind of push through them, if we can stretch ourselves, if we can um, put ourselves out there a little bit, uh, the reward is great. Uh, you know, uh, Kelly, um, my family, we can attest to that. Um, the opportunity to develop relationships with people from different cultures, it's enriching. Um, it, it is fulfilling. And again, it helps us grow in our walk with the Lord. Um, while at World Relief, I would often, you know, talking, we're sharing about refugees. And when you think about a refugee and how they've come to the country and what they've been through, you become a refugee because your home is no longer safe for you. So you flee your home and you go through a very challenging journey where you're um, constantly at everybody else's, um, you're in need of, of everybody else's help. You don't feel like you have control. You come to a new culture where you don't know, sometimes you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, you don't know how to navigate, um, and you're lonely, and there's culture shock, all these sorts of things. And, you know, the, the foreigner, when they arrive, and as they're navigating life and trying to learn how to live here, um, they need the church. They need the church to love them and care for them. Um, but at the same time, I really do believe, and my experience has been, we need the foreigner. Like, we need those who have had different experiences. Um, we will be enriched. We will be changed. We will be more like Christ um, when we have those relationships and those opportunities. Um, so pushing through those cultural differences, pushing through those language barriers and saying, you know, it's worth it. Um, it'll pay off. It, it's rewarding for you. And it um, is a fulfillment of what God's called us to do. I'll just add on to that a little bit. I think the fear factor can be a big barrier for us. And, and there are different ways to think about that. There's definitely the conversation around, you know, I'm fearful of maybe who's coming to the country. And, um, but I think for most of us, that fear comes more in the form of, I don't know how to communicate with this person who maybe speaks a different language from the one I do or has different values than I do. Are we going to see eye to eye? Are we going to understand the world the same way? Are we going to be so different that this is just going to be super awkward and uncomfortable um, and not wanting to enter into that uncomfortable space, which I think is a very natural human function for us. Um, we like comfort. We like being around people who are easy to understand, people who are easy to connect with. And the reality is, um, as much as I would like to say, you know, it's all just like beautiful diversity and just dive in. 
that brings discomfort. And I know that I've experienced that I'm a shy person. Um, and so to step into a space where everybody thinks differently than I do, speaks a different language than I do, has been very uncomfortable for me. So I can very much relate with that. Um, I think what I've seen though is because God, um, for whatever reason, has not allowed me to stay in that place <laughs> and has continued to kind of push me into situations where I was uncomfortable. Um, is that it's so worth stepping into that and allowing for some awkwardness, for some discomfort to try to press in and see that person as made in the image of Christ. You know, what, what does drive them? What, how do they see the world? Um, and navigating that even in the midst of those barriers. Um, and it's not always going to be easy or, you know, you might walk away sometimes and be like, I don't know what just happened <laughs> and I'm confused. Um, or, or even, I don't understand why this person sees this this way or feels this way. And that could be said, you know, for all kinds of differences in our country and around the world. Um, but, but allowing ourselves to enter into that space, I think the payoff is really worth it. Um, and I would say too, I think you all have a really great opportunity to do this, <laughs> um, that it doesn't, having like worked with volunteers in the past, I understand like to sit down across the table from somebody who's from a different culture or a different life story can be super intimidating. I don't really like sitting across the table <laughs> from most people because it feels very intense, um, but there are opportunities in the community all the time to get involved, start experiencing other people's cultures, other people's language, other people's ways of doing things. And one of those is things are things like what's happening tonight here, um, that you can be in a space that is comfortable to you. You come here and worship every week and you can see who else is here in the valley. How has God brought the nations to be here, um, to rejoice, to lift up his name together in a way that um, you get to kind of participate and then you know push beyond that. What's the next step? What does it look like to get more engaged? Um, and I just I feel here maybe even more than many other places in the U.S. the need for, of course, this is a need everywhere, but the need for churches to be united um, and to have the opportunity to see that the churches in the valley aren't just the churches that maybe look like us or sound like us or do worship like us, but they come from all cultural backgrounds, many different, you know, even within Christianity, different beliefs and, you know, how do you take communion? What does your worship music sound like? And so allowing space in our lives for a little bit of discomfort so that we can be connected in with the bigger picture of what God is doing here um, and engaging with all these image bearers of Christ. Thank you. So Dr. Um, Peter Asiyama, who leads the Vine Institute, is going to be here this evening. He often calls um, the new American churches in our valley that don't speak English, he often calls them the church behind the scenes because we don't see them. And so when he's at pastor's meetings or whatever, he's like, I'm here representing the church behind the scenes. And they, the University of Utah or the Vine, I, I'm going to misquote this, but has a statistic that there are more gospel-centered churches um, speaking or worshiping God in languages besides English than English in Utah. So we need to know that. And tonight's a good night to see that. When I made the video um, to try and promote 
Global Day of Prayer, um, I showed it to Dan, who's our intern from Ukraine. And he looked at it and he said, where are all the white people? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that makes me sad because we literally at Global Day of Prayer don't have enough white people. <laughs> so it's, it's our opportunity to celebrate the, the big church and the white folks don't come. <laughs> so I'm asking you, come and be in the pictures. <laughs> Let us take pictures of you tonight. Um, but that's a way of welcoming the stranger. It's just by being here and worshiping side by side with someone in a way that might be uncomfortable, a little different, a little strange. Let, let's take that risk. So we need to close up, but could you kind of summarize? Um, Henry said earlier, we, we can learn to love, but is, can you give me a summary of what we have to gain from, from this, from welcoming the foreigner? Yeah, I think one thing that I think especially the American, you know, uh, church has to gain. Um, what I've seen, I've worked with a lot of churches, um, and churches here are trying to really figure out how to be in community. Uh, we are a culture that's moved away from community. Uh, we struggle there, um, and, and we struggle there a lot more than most other cultures. Um, and... Uh, so uh, there's lots of church methodology and strategy and all this planning on how do we get people in community. And um, meanwhile, uh, a lot of the, um, a lot of different cultures that are here um, do this much better. <laughs> and we can learn, we can be around them, we can learn from them about how to do community. Um, because we have struggled in that area. We're headed in the wrong direction, um, and there's a lot we can learn. So I'd say one area that we can, uh, that always has stuck out to me um, as I've watched other cultures and been around other cultures um, is that we can really take notes and try to be influenced by the way that they do community, like Kelly was talking about, the hospitality, the sense of living um, uh, communally, um, their strengths, you know, to that, um, you know, and like I said, every, every culture has its strengths and, and its weaknesses, and uh, that is a weakness of ours, and it is a strength of many of the cultures that are around us that we can really try to embrace and learn from. I think that means more food. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. I will say the best staff food celebrations I've ever experienced for a world relief because of the international representation. Um, I think, I love that we've been talking about really thinking about the fact that we're all image bearers of Christ. And when I think about like, what are the implications of that? If we are each are carrying this small piece of reflection of God, but we only ever interact with people whose reflections are fairly similar to ours we're missing a huge piece of the image that God has actually put of himself in humanity. And so I think a big thing that we gain is we learn more about God when we learn more about people of different nations, different cultures, um, and the way that God is speaking to them and showing up in their lives. Um, 
that, you know, I, everybody in this room, I would look at and say, you know, God has created you with value and with something, you know, a piece of him that we need. Um, and that is true of every person in the world. And so allowing ourselves to participate in seeing God through our international neighbors, I think is so, so valuable. Um, and I would also challenge us to think about what do we miss, you know, or answer the question, what do we gain, but what do we miss when we don't do this? We saw it in Matthew where it says that, you know, when we clothe, <laughs> you know, people, feed people, care for the widow, care for the orphan, care for the foreigner, we're caring for Jesus himself. And if we want to see Jesus, then those are the things that we want to be doing. And so um, I think we risk missing Jesus when we miss the foreigner, the stranger, our international neighbor in our midst. That's so good. I don't want to miss Jesus. <laughs> um, we're going to uh, close here. Uh, Kelsey, do you want to come up and we'll start? Um, we're going to close with Henry. I've asked Henry if he would pray for our new American foreign neighbors. And then Kelly's going to pray for the church. And um, and then we'll just sing this. We'll finish with a song after that. So um, go ahead. Um, Father, we thank you for this opportunity um, that you've given us today to be able to discuss and speak and hear you, Lord. Um, we pray for those that are new to the community, Lord. We pray for you to um, make them feel welcomed here, Lord. I know when they come to a new place, Everything could be so different. Everything could be so challenging. So we just pray and we ask you, Lord, to give them that comfort, to give them that comfort that they need to be able to come out and, and explore and be among everybody here. And we ask you to be able to bring them to churches, to bring them to communities that could give them that welcoming that they need so that they could um, come out of their bubble and just feel you know, loved and just feel your, your, your power and feel your amazing grace. In the name of Jesus, we ask you. God, I thank you that, um, that you are so much bigger than, than we can imagine. Um, and that you choose to reflect yourself in each one of us. Um, God, I thank you that you have determined and designed that your church globally um, looks different and sounds different and, and just carries this beauty of diversity in it and that we see in Revelation and that those things aren't wiped away when we come to you, you know, in that, that final eternity, um, God, that there's a celebration of the nations and a celebration of the languages and God, I just, I feel your delight um, in even thinking about people praising you in all tongues all across the world. Um, God, especially today as we remember Pentecost. And so I pray that you would um, open our hearts, um, that especially here in the American church, God, that you would bring fresh vision and new inspiration, and that you would show us the way to welcome um, our neighbors wherever they come from, and that you would show us the way to welcome them the way that you would. Um, and God, that you would also reveal yourself in that, um, that you, you know, you say that when we do those things for others, we do them for you. Um, God, I pray that you would also give us the grace to receive, um, to receive from our international neighbors, to receive from our new American friends, um, God, to see what they have to teach us, 
um, to be the recipients of their hospitality, um, and God, that you would spur all of us on um, just to, to capture that bigger vision of, of your church and the way that you have designed her and the way that you have made her beautiful. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, let's give thanks to our panel here. You guys. Thank you.